All right, well, thank you, Pastor Hayden and Nina. And good morning, Walk Church family. Happy 4th of July weekend. I hope you have your Bibles ready to go. Uh, we're in the book of Ruth, and I, I really just can't wait to jump into this book with you this morning. But here's what I want you to do. I want you to just buckle your seatbelts. I want you to hold on tight because we are in for a little bit of a wild ride today. We've reached Ruth chapter three, which is the height of suspense and drama in this book of the Bible. And, we, um, and that's why I'm just, I'm just excited to preach it to you today, just because of the sheer intensity and excitement and, and even the risk that's involved in this story. Right, in some ways, this is a, a very difficult passage, but, but I want you to know that I'm up for the challenge if you are. So if you're ready, just go ahead and say, I'm ready. And why don't you just go ahead and type I'm ready into the, to the comment box and, and let us know. And, um, and if, you're, if you're visiting for the first time, first of all, I just want to welcome you. And I also just want to get you caught up to the story here. So um, in Ruth chapter one, we meet this Israelite woman from Bethlehem and her name is Naomi. And Naomi's husband, Elimelech, led her and her two sons out of Bethlehem during a time of famine into the land of Moab. And her two sons married Moabite women. And then after 10 years, Elimelech dies. And then tragically, her two sons die as well. And she's left in a foreign land with two daughters-in-law, no source of provision, no family to protect her at all. And so Naomi decides to return to Israel. One of her daughters-in-law returned to her former home of Moab, but the other one, Ruth, who this, who this book is named after, decided to go back with her. And she says these words to Naomi in chapter one. They're some of the most beautiful words in the entire Old Testament. And she says, do not urge me to uh, leave you or return from following you. For where you go, I will go. Where you live, I will live. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. And when the women returned to Bethlehem, Naomi, whose name means delightful or pleasant, she said, don't call me Naomi, call me Mara, which means bitter. She said, for the Lord has dealt very bitterly with me. And chapter one closed with Ruth and Naomi in Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. It was a dark time. It was a bitter time. Um, they must have been afraid with no provision, with no protection of a family. But hope was on the horizon because God was providing bread in Bethlehem. God was providing food. It was the time of the barley harvest. So chapter two is a chapter that's filled with hope. Uh, it begins with Naomi in a state of despair, but Ruth with optimistic faith. She went to work in the, in the fields and by God's providence, she just so happened to end up in the field of one of Naomi's rel relatives. It's a man named Boaz, right? And this, we're told that this man named Boaz is a worthy man. Um, we find out that, that he is very kind to Ruth. He speaks kindly to her, right? He protects her while she's working in his field. He provides provision and, and barley and food and all kinds of things for her. And Boaz understood, whether Ruth knew it or not, right, that she had come to Israel to be under the protection of the Lord and Boaz would protect her as a faithful man and as a servant of God. And here's one of the things that, that Boaz said to Ruth. He said this, all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me and how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. And he says, the Lord repay you for what you have done and a full reward be given to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, and then I want you to remember these words. They'll be important later. He says, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. 
And then Boaz sends Ruth back home to Naomi, full of food. She has tons of provision just to bring back home. And then Naomi hears about the kindness of Boaz and Naomi begins to see the good hand of God on her life once again. And she begins to realize that the good hand of God on her life has never really actually left, right? And he realizes that that someone has taken notice of Ruth, right? Someone has been kind to her and it's one of her family members. I mean, this is amazing. Naomi literally comes to life. You can sense the excitement from Naomi when she learns that his name is Boaz. I mean, this is exciting stuff, right? The darkness of chapter one begins to fade away. Hope begins to dawn. And then Naomi that said that the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me in chapter one, instead is saying that his kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead in chapter two. Right? On top of that, Naomi tells Ruth that Boaz is one of our redeemers. Right? It's obvious that there's a connection between Boaz and Ruth, a, a romantic connection even. But then chapter two ends with Ruth still living with her mother-in-law. I mean, it, it's, it's, there, there's no climax to it at all. It's just very anticlimactic. And, um, and you're just sort of left wondering if there's going to be more. Right? It makes you wonder, is this all that there's going to be? Or is the Lord doing something more? And and as we'll see in chapter three, the Lord is doing much more. And what God is doing is bound up in this word that Naomi uses for Boaz. It's bound up in this word, redeemer. Pastor Hayden uh, touched on this last week. And and, and it's this Hebrew word, goel, right? And and it just means redeemer. Um, The Webster's Pocket Dictionary defines redeem like this. Here's Here's what it means to be a redeemer. To redeem something means this, to buy back, right? to free from captivity by payment of ransom or to release from blame or debt, right? So if you were living back in Israel in those days, there was, there was, um, there was no bankruptcy laws or anything like that. So if you had a relative who got themselves into a lot of debt, uh, they would maybe have to sell themselves into slavery in order to pay for those debts. And, and if you were a close family member, then you had the right and even the responsibility to go and to redeem that close family member out of slavery. In fact, when God rescued Israel out of the land of Egypt, that's the word that he used. He says, I have redeemed you out of the land of Egypt. Similarly, if a person uh, sold their property, maybe they sold their land in order to pay a debt, as a close family member, you had the right to go and redeem the property. You could go buy the property back and keep it in the family name. And then finally, in the Old Testament law, there's also a provision for a near family member to marry his brother's widow. Right, and this is a, this is a cultural thing. It's it's lost on us a little bit, but it was very important to to continue the family name. And part of that was every family would get land, and and that would be their land, and it was supposed to stay in the family forever. And if your brother married someone, and then your brother died without having any children, as a redeemer, you could go and marry uh, his his widow, and then the family name would continue. Right? And this was actually a very kind and gracious provision in God's law because back in those days, if no one married the woman, uh, there was a chance that she would have to sell herself into slavery. And so this was a, just a kind uh, provision in the law on God's, on God's part. And some of us may be sitting here this morning and just going, you know, what's, what does all this have to do with Jesus? You know, I, I thought this was, <laughs> was going to be a Christian sermon. And, um, and as we pick up the story in Ruth chapter three, we just need to understand that this idea 
of redemption, right? The idea of, of a redeemer rescuing somebody and, and providing for somebody who can't provide for themselves, right? Is at the very heart of this book. We also under, need to understand that, that God is telling us this story in order to help us to see the glory of our own redemption in Christ, right? We were the ones who were helpless. We were the ones who couldn't provide for ourselves. And so Jesus Christ came from heaven to earth in order to redeem us and to rescue us from the slave market of sin, all right? So let's go ahead and just keep that in mind as we read this story. It's been a couple of months since chapter two ended and chapter three, verse one picks up. It's been, um, it's the end of the, the barley harvest. It's the, the end of the, the wheat harvest as well. And Ruth has continued to work in the fields of Boaz. And as we pick up the story, the time of the harvest is coming to an end, right? And, and, and Naomi is a shrewd mother-in-law. She says, I know that there's a romantic connection between Boaz and Ruth. And there's gonna be no more Ruth going to glean in the fields of Boaz because the harvest is coming to an end. And so she says, listen, if we're gonna do something, the time is now. So let's pick it up in Ruth chapter three, verse one. Here's what, here's what it says. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law said to her, my daughter, should I not seek rest for you that it may be well with you? And here's what she's saying. She's just saying, Ruth, I'm your mother-in-law. I need to help you find a husband. And I, I just love this. In chapter one, right, Naomi is so depressed and in so much despair that she wouldn't do anything to help improve their situation at all. But in chapter two, she sees the kindness of God once again. She sees the kindness of God at work and it gives her hope, right? And hope in God actually moves her to action. And so that, that leads me to my first point this morning. And here's what it is. It's don't just stand there do something, right? Don't just stand there, do something. Let the hope of God move you to make a plan for good, right? One of the lessons that we learn in Ruth, Ruth chapter three is that hope helps us to dream, right? Hope helps us to think good thoughts. Hope help, um, helps us to, to dream about the future and to make plans for good, especially when we hope in God. Now, one of the, the sad truths about depression, and, and I don't in any way want to minimize what, what, what people suffer um, when they suffer with depression. It's a, it's a very real thing, but people who suffer with depression will be the first to tell you that one of the things that depression does is it makes it so you don't want to do anything, right? S some people don't even want to get out of bed. They don't want to leave the house. And, and what happens is when you get into a state like that, you, you don't start thinking about the future. You're not optimistic about the future. Right? And as long as Naomi was depressed, as long as she could only say that the Lord has dealt very bitterly, bitterly with me, Naomi was making no plans for the future. Right? But when Naomi realizes that the kindness of God has visited her, right, her hope comes alive and she becomes concerned about finding Ruth a place of care and security. Right? And she makes a plan. Right? So, so, so I, I, I just want to acknowledge right, there, there are times when we get tired in this life but we can't let that drive us to a place of despair. We need to find, always find a reason to hope in God. Isaiah chapter 40, 31 says this, those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. Now church, I just wanna, just wanna challenge you right now. I know that we've all been going through a, a very difficult time and and, and honestly, it would be easy just to get to a place where, where we feel like Naomi, right? Where, where we feel like 
the Lord has dealt very bitterly with me. And, I, you know, we can, we can easily get to a place of despair, but I just want to tell you, church, that God is good. Come on, can I get an amen from somebody? God is good. God is bringing us through this time of trouble. He's bringing you through this time of trouble, but he's making everything work for your good. I just want to ask you, do you believe that? Listen, Romans 8.28 is still true. Romans 8.28 is still in your Bible. You can check right now if you want to. And here's, here's what it says. God works all things for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. So here's the question I just want to ask you. If you believe that to be true, what are, what are you planning right now? What kind of plans for the future do you have right now? Because if you believe that God is good, if you're hoping for the future, it'll move you to make plans for good. I, I, I met with a friend this week. It was on Tuesday. He came over to my house and he sat down in my house and, and he just shared with me. He said, he said Mike, um, my work has told me that if, the, if the, the hotel that I work at, if they don't call me by August 1st, they said, here's what that means. It means you don't have a job. You're, you're, just, you're not going to come back to work. Your job doesn't exist anymore. And he said, so you know what I'm doing? He said, I've got a two-year plan. He said, I've got a two-year plan. I'm, I'm going to school starting in October. I've already been accepted. And in two years, I'm going to graduate and I will be qualified to go out and get a job in, in the healthcare industry. And he said, and you know what? I'm going to be considered an essential worker, <laughs> right? I, I mean, my, my brother's got optimistic faith. He's, his hope in God is moving him to action. He's not just standing there. He's doing something. He's making a plan. And, and I just want to let you guys know right now, your pastors are making plans. We believe in the goodness of God. Listen, we're not just sitting here in maintenance mode. We're, we're in advancement mode right now. We believe that the good hand of God has been upon Walk Church. That's our conviction. So Pastor Hyden and Pastor Wes and, and myself, we are actively making plans, believing that God has a good plan and a future for Walk Church. All right? So one of the things that we want you to do is we want you to take a page out of Ruth's book just like, just like my, my friend and, and just like myself, we've, we've taken a page out of Ruth's book and we're moving forward and making plans for the future. All right, so back to Ruth now. Let's go ahead and see what kind of plans Naomi has been thinking about. All right, Chap, uh, chapter three, verse two, it says this, is not Boaz our relative? This is, this is Naomi's plan. This is what she's thinking. Boaz is one of our redeemers, right? Is not Boaz our relative with whose young women, women you were? See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Let me just pause for a moment and just talk about a threshing floor and what that is and what it means to winnow barley. When you would be out working in the harvest, you would be gathering all of this grain. And then what you would have to do in order to make it edible is you would have to take it on top of a hill and the hill would have kind of a flat area and it would be a place where the, where the wind would blow. And then you would kind of take like a, a shovel kind of a, a thing, it's called a winnowing fork, and you would, you would scoop up the grain and then you would, you would take it up in the air and then you would, you would pour it out. And the grain would fall back down to the ground and, and this breeze would just carry everything away that wasn't edible. It's called chaff, it would be like, it would be like dust and, and, and it was a lot of work. I mean, imagine if you were harvesting wheat and barley for two months straight. I mean, you would have mounds and mounds and piles of, of harvested grain and, and you would have to do this with every bit of it. There would take a lot of people. It's a lot of work. Naomi realizes that that's what they're doing right now. And so she says, she says this, verse three. She says, 
to Ruth, wash therefore and anoint yourself and put on your cloak and go down to the threshing floor, but do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. <laughs> now, hold on a second here, Naomi. Um, I'm not sure if that's the kind of plan I was talking about, <laughs> right? You, you, want, you want Ruth to wash and anoint, basically put on perfume and go down, you know, put on a cloak and go down to the threshing floor and don't make yourself known until <laughs> he's done eating and drinking. I don't know what kind of a plan this is, but l- let me just say this. Naomi's smart, right? She, this is a wise mother-in-law if I've ever seen one because everybody knows that a man is always gonna be in a better mood when he's had his dinner and a glass of wine. Come on, somebody, can, can I get an amen? All right, let, let's, let's, see what, let's see what her plan consists of. Verse four, but when he lies down, observe the place where he lies, then go and uncover his feet and lie down and he will tell you what to do. <laughs> My, 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 I, 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 don't, I don't know what kind of a plan this is, but it looks risque, it looks dangerous. Um, and, and I, I kind of, I, I like this part right here. She goes like this. She goes, but when he lies down, she says, observe the place where, where he lies, right? right? It's like, name was like, this is really important. This might be the most important part of the plan, Ruth. Check it out. There's gonna be a lot of guys up there doing this, this harvest, like this barley harvest, winnowing the grain. Like it's going to be dark. Make sure you have your eyes focused like a laser beam on Boaz because you want to make sure you don't go end up at the wrong person's feet. (laughs) So, so she makes that clear. So I'm sure that's locked into Ruth's mind in verse five. And she replied, this is what Ruth says, all that you say, I will do. All right. So first of all, Pastor Hayden, thank you very much for giving me this difficult text. I appreciate it. Well, let me just see if I can just walk a spiritual tightrope for just a second. Are there romantic undertones at play in this text? No doubt. Absolutely. Yes. Without question. But is Naomi's plan meant to be sexually seductive? And the answer is very simply, no, it is not right? We know that from the character of Boaz and Ruth. In chapter two, verse one, uh, Boaz is actually called a worthy man, right? This would not be a very smart plan on the part of Naomi, knowing that Boaz is a worthy man. And later on in chapter three, we're going to see that Ruth is known by everyone as a worthy woman, right? So, so what's going on here? Here's what I I think is going on. In in second Samuel um, chapter 12, I don't know if you remember the story, maybe you do. King, King David's baby is, is sick, it's a newborn. It doesn't look like the baby's gonna make it. David is praying and, and asking God, and he's in a time of mourning. He, um, he's, he's very sad over what's happening with his child, and his child ends up dying, and he's in a period of mourning. But, but when the period of mourning is over, David, you can read it for yourself, he, he, he washes himself, he anoints himself with oil, and he puts on new clothes. And, and I think that's, that's what's going on here. I think that, Na, um, that Naomi um, knows that even Boaz understands this, that, that Ruth has been mourning, right? Ruth's husband passed away. Uh, it would be very natural for someone like Ruth to be mourning. And so one of the ways that you can 
indicator, you can let somebody know that your time of mourning is over with is by washing, anointing with perfume, and putting on a new set of clothes. So, so if I could just say this, here's, here's what I think is happening in Ruth chapter three, right? Ruth has t- told Naomi about the kindness of Boaz. She's, she's said some of the things that Boaz has said to her. And I think that Naomi and Ruth are both reading between the lines and they're beginning to understand more and more that, that Boaz really has a romantic interest in Ruth. And um, it, it's hard for an older man to express love. So, so, so what, what he does is, is, he, is he protects her, he provides for her, and he says kind things to her. And, and it's, almost, it's almost like this, right? I, I think if you've ever seen the movie, The Princess Bride, have you guys seen the movie, The Princess Bride? One of my all-time favorite movies. In the very beginning of the movie, you've got this, this lady, a young lady, I believe she owns the farm, and then there's a servant boy, right? She doesn't even know his name. And she says stuff like, servant boy, would you, would you fill up these pitchers of water? And the only thing that he ever says to her in response is, is these three words, as you wish, as you wish, right? She says, can you polish my saddle? Servant boy, polish my saddle. And he says, as you wish. And, and, and what happens is in, in the, the princess bride, she eventually comes to the point where she understands that every time the, the servant boy said, as you wish, what he was really saying is, I love you. And so they've been interpreting Boaz's words and they finally reached a place where they believe that Boaz is professing his love to Ruth, although in a very subtle way. And so um, Naomi and Ruth, basically, um, they hit upon a response that's just as subtle, right? Um, Just as subtle, just as profound. And Ruth will come to him in his sleep. Here's the plan. She's gonna come to him in his sleep in the very place where he has basically already protected her and she is going to say yes to what Boaz has really been asking her to do, right? We, have, we, have, we really have to just place ourselves in the story here though, right? How is Boaz going to react, right? The answer hangs on whether or not they've even interpreted Boaz correctly. I mean, just imagine the, the risk that Ruth is taking here. I mean, this is a foreign woman. She's already in a place of poverty, and she's going to go to a, a wealthy, important man. He's the owner of the field that, that he's so graciously letting her just come and, and pick up the scraps. And she's going she's gonna to uncover his feet and she's going to lay down. I mean, this is risky. And I think that we just have to feel that for a second, right? There's definitely a risk here, but she knows that it's now or never. Now's the time. And so here's what she does. She says, it's time to take the shot. So point number one, don't just stand there, do something. Point number two, you got to shoot your shot, right? Shoot your shot. It's time to make a move. It's time to act. Verse six says, so she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. And here we see Ruth doing exactly what Naomi told her to do, right? She waited in the dark. Boaz finished the celebration. He finished his food. He finished his drink, right? This doesn't mean that he was drunk at all in an ungodly way. It just means that he was happy after his food and wine. Again, this is great um, advice. So Boaz stretches out. He goes to sleep and Ruth approached 
she uncovered his feet and she laid down near him. Now, just imagine if you're Ruth for a second. I mean, your heart has got to just be just pounding. I mean, this is, this is so risky. I mean, she could be risking her reputation. She could be risking her life. I mean, she, like, like I already mentioned, she's already in a place of poverty. The one person who's been kind to her, she's risking it all right now. And verse eight says this, at midnight, the man was startled and he turned over and behold, a woman lay at his feet. He said, who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant for you are a redeemer. <laughs> now it says, behold in the text. Now, anytime it says in the Old Testament, anytime it says these words, behold, I mean, we are supposed to look, pay attention. Boaz is just shocked. And he's saying, behold, there's a woman. I know there wasn't a woman laying there when I went to sleep. And on top of that, my legs are uncovered. My feet are cold. And so he, he, he kind of sits up. It's the middle of the night. They're outside. They're outdoors. He looks down, kind of Imagine rubs the sleep out of his eyes and he says, who are you? You know, and um, I, I just wonder if that's even how he said it. Like maybe he's like, who are you? Or, 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 or maybe it was something more like this. Maybe it was like, more like, hey, who are you? <laughs> I mean, this, this just had to be such an amazing scene. I wish that I could just plant myself there. I wish I could have seen it for myself. Just the look on Boaz's face when, when he looks down and there is a woman laying at his feet with his feet uncovered, right? And so here, here's what she says, right? She says, spread your wings over your servant. Um, what Ruth says is tactful, right? It's gentle, but it's also stunning, right? This phrase, spread your wings over your servant, Right, Ruth, here's what she's doing. She's, she's actually making a marriage proposal to Boaz. Like Ruth goes to Boaz in the middle of the night and she asks him to marry her. This is a marriage proposal. Now, this, this actually just reminds me of a story. Again, this is something that we, we don't necessarily understand in 21st century America. We don't speak in terms of uh, spread your wings you know, over your servant. Right? We don't really think like that, but we do remember uh, that, that, that Boaz said that you've come under the, the protection of the Lord. You've, you've come under the, the, the Lord's wings. Remember, I told you to remember that phrase. Um, there's actually a, a verse in Ezekiel chapter 16, verse eight. And, and God himself is actually speaking to the nation of Israel. And he's speaking as though she was a, a young woman. And God is often portrayed in the Old Testament as a husband and, and Israel is portrayed, portrayed as, a, as a wife. And, and here's what God says to the nation of Israel. He says this, when I passed by you again, I saw you. Behold, you were at the age for love. Remember, God is speaking to the nation here. He says, and I spread the corner of my garment over you and covered your nakedness. Now, now think about this for a second. Ruth in many ways is naked, though she's not physically naked. She, she has no way to provide for herself or her mother-in-law. She has no family. Her family's in another country. She has no one to protect her. And, and so in many ways, in many ways, Ruth is, is naked, just like God is speaking here to the nation of Israel. And then God says this, he says, I made my vow to you and entered into a covenant with you, declares the Lord God, and you became mine. And what Ruth is saying to Boaz is she's saying, Boaz, 
I want to enter into a covenant relationship with you so that you can cover my nakedness, so that you can provide for me, so that you can protect me. And in effect, what I'm saying is, Boaz, will you marry me? Right? This is a marriage proposal in the Old Testament. Right? And, and here's the reason why. She says, for you, for you are a redeemer. Remember, we talked about this word goel. It's, it means a redeemer. That's, she's saying, Boaz, that's you. You're a family member. And so now her cards are on the table, right? I mean, she's made her move. She, 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 shot, her, she shot her shot. And, 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 and now we don't know what's going to happen, right? There's no taking it back. She followed through with the plan. She took the risk. I like this quote from Mark Twain. He says this. He said, 20 years from now, you will be more disappointed by the things you didn't do than by the ones you did. So throw off the bow lines, sail away from the safe harbor, catch the trade winds in your sails, explore, dream, discover. Sometimes we need to take a risk, all right? We need to, we need to make a plan for good, and then we need to shoot our shot, take a risk, and act for good. Verse 10, let's see how Boaz responds. Verse 10 says, and he said, May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter, for you have made this kindness greater than the first and that you have not gone after younger men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask for all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. I just want to highlight this word for a second. He says, you have made this last kindness greater than the first. This word kindness. In Hebrew, this is, the, this is the Hebrew word hesed, right? And, and here's, here's what it's like. It's much like the word agape in the New Testament, right? We use this word agape in the New Testament, and it means unconditional love. It's the kind of love that God loves us with. And, and so the, although it's not an exact equivalent, it's very similar in the Hebrew. It really doesn't have an exact English translation, but a lot of commentators and a lot of people translate it as loyal love. And here's what Boaz is saying. He's saying, he's saying the loyal love that you have showed to your mother-in-law was through the roof. It was amazing. It was awesome. And, and, And he's saying, but the loyal love that you're showing me right now is even greater than that. I am so honored and so happy that you asked me to be your redeemer. I would gladly do that for you, Ruth. That's what he's saying. So he, Here's, here's the application. When, when, when is the last time you took a risk? When's the last time you took a risk, right? We, we make all kinds of risky sacrifices in life for all kinds of things that, that may or may not have any eternal significance at all, right? But, but when's the last time you, you took a risk for the sake of the gospel, right? When's the last time you, you risked an, an awkward conversation with somebody about Jesus? When's the last time you invited to someone, uh, invited someone to coffee, maybe a friend who doesn't know the Lord, just to, to, just to talk about Jesus with them? When's the last time you, you risked your finances for the sake of advancing the kingdom of God? Like, I, I think that, that we need to sit down and we need to, we need to think about, about taking the right kind of risk, right? Taking calculated risks, Right? I think that we should sit down. I think that we should let our awareness of the kindness of God, right? even in these times that we're in right now, move you to action. Right? Make a plan for good. Take a risk for the sake of the gospel. I promise you won't, forget, you won't, you won't uh, regret it. And so you, you say, Mike, that's easy to say. 
why don't you give me a couple examples of, of how I might do that? And um, I'll do that. I, th- I think one of the first things that you can do is this, is you could take a risk by, by reaching out to someone who hurt you. I think that's risky because you can always be hurt a second time, but, but if they will talk to you, um, you may be able to show them the love of Christ and ask them to forgive you. Number two, I, you could ask for forgiveness from somebody that you hurt, right? Reconciliation is a beautiful thing. You could start a business, right? Maybe now is the time to start a business. Um, maybe you might want to wait until coronavirus goes away a little bit, but now would be a great time to start planning for it, right? Um, maybe the business that you start could help advance the kingdom of God, right? It's going to provide jobs. It's going to support your family and you can use the finances to advance God's kingdom, right? Another thing that you could do to take a risk is you could be a a part of a church plant. Walk Church is a church that plants other churches, right? We are, we are a multiplying church. And so you would have the, the opportunity to be part of a church plant. And then one, one last idea is this. You could just share the gospel with somebody. Th- that could be a risk, right? We already said it could be an awkward conversation or it can be a God conversation. You never know how God might just show up and change somebody's life right there. And listen, if you don't know how to share the gospel, just do this. Just invite them to coffee and then, and then invite me or invite Pastor Hyden or Pastor Wes and we'll come and we'll share the gospel with them. Now listen, we don't want to blindside them. <laughs> All right, I'm not saying to do that, but I'm just saying this. I would love to do that. If you, if you have someone in your sphere of influence and we need to share the gospel with them, I, I would be glad to do that. I'll teach you how to do that. Um, you never know what God might do with that situation. You never know how God might use you. By the way, if Naomi hadn't made this plan and Ruth hadn't taken this risk, then Jesus himself, the ultimate redeemer for sin, would have never been born, right? By God's providence, God chose to use Boaz and Ruth, right? Spoiler alert, they, they, they end up getting married, they have kids, and their great-grandson is King David himself. And as you know, King David is one of the great, 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 great grandparents of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, Right? Now listen, before I move on, I just, I just want to speak to anyone who might be watching this right now and you've never taken the risk to ask Jesus Christ to be your redeemer, right? Like Boaz, I just want you to know this. He's willing and he's able, right? You might be thinking, well, m- maybe he's willing, but, but is he able to save someone like me, right? And, and Hebrews 7.25 says this, that God, right, that God is able to save us right? That Jesus Christ is able to save us. In fact, it says he's able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, right? Jesus didn't simply risk his life to be a redeemer. In fact, Jesus came down from heaven and he became a man precisely so he, that he could call himself a close kinsman redeemer of, for you. Jesus is a redeemer and not only did he risk his life, but he willingly gave his life. He died so that you could be set free, so that he could redeem you. Now, now hear me. I just, I just want you to know that, that he is a willing redeemer. He's a willing savior. Listen, God is not in any way a reluctant savior. He says, come to me, all you who are burdened, right? Who are heavy laden. He says, and I will give you rest. Listen, if you have guilt, if you have shame, 
you have burdens, I just want you to know that the invitation from Jesus is open and he says, come. Right? Jesus says, the one who comes to me, he says, I will by no means cast out. Maybe that's you today. Maybe you are the one, right? The one who comes to me, Jesus says, I will by no means cast out. And when Jesus says, I will by no means cast you out, here's what he's saying. This is the strongest possible construction to say that you will never do something in the Greek language. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, the one who comes to me, he says, I will by no means, never, ever, cast you out. I will never do that. Now friends, listen, I I just want you to know this. The invitation is open. The redeemer, Jesus himself, he's willing, he's able. All the preparations have been made. All you have to do is come. And I'm just inviting you right now, if you've never done it before, take the risk and ask Jesus to be your redeemer and he'll do it. All right. Now listen, I know that, that many of us have a five-year plan, and, and I encourage you to have one. I know many of us have a 10-year plan, and I think that's a great, uh, a great thing, but, but how many of us have a 100-year plan? How many of us have a 100-year plan? In 100 years, where will you be? And, and that's one of the things I want us to think about. You remember the Mark Twain quote that I, I quoted earlier? I, I reworked it a little bit. I, I made it my own, and here's what it says. A 100 years from now, you will be more disappointed by the things you didn't do by the, by the things you did. Come to Christ while you can. Take a risk for the sake of the gospel while you can. So throw off the bow lines, sail away from the safe harbor. Let the Holy Spirit fill your life. Explore, dream, discover the provision, protection, and covenant blessing of life in Jesus Christ. My friend, I'm telling you, it's worth it. You need to come. You need to take that risk Come to Jesus. He's willing. He's able. Now listen, back to Ruth. I, I know it's true that Boaz is a redeemer. But Jesus is the better redeemer. Right? Jesus is the best redeemer. He's the, he's, the, he's the one who will never let you down. So let's go ahead and jump back into the story here. And let's see what happens next. Right? The plan is going great so far, right? I mean, Boaz gave us the best possible answer. Verse 12 Boaz says, and now it is true that I am a redeemer. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Yet, uh uh-oh, that doesn't sound good. He says, yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. What does that mean? Boaz is saying this. He's saying, yeah, I'm definitely a redeemer. I'm a relative of Naomi's because I'm related to Elimelech, her ex-husband, her dead husband. He says, however, there's a relative that's actually closer to him than I am. And so here's what he says. He's saying, remain tonight and in the morning, if he will redeem you, good, let, let him do it. But if he will not, if he's not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Then he says, lie down until the morning. Here's what I want us to see, right? Boaz and Ruth had just agreed to be married, right? This is what they both wanted so desperately. They both wanted this to be married, right? But, but there's a roadblock. There's something in the way. And just imagine how easy it would have been to take matters into their own hands in order to secure what they both wanted so desperately. Boaz knew that that, that, um, that, that wasn't the right thing to do. 
right? Boaz knew that, that, there, that there was a law in place that, that made another uh, kinsman closer than him. But here's what I want us to see here. Boaz will not violate the law, right? He, he'll, he'll see to it that Ruth is redeemed either by himself or by a close relative. So here's what he does. He takes their plan after doing everything that they could possibly do within the boundaries of God's law, right? And they trust it to the loving hands of a kind God. There's nothing more that they can do in this moment. So they have to stand still and wait on God. Remember, point number one was don't just stand there, do something. Point number two is shoot your shot. Now, point number three is don't just do something, stand there. Don't just do something, stand there, right? Ruth has done everything she can do. The decision is out of her hands and all that they can do together right now is wait and stand still, stand where they're at and wait on God. Now listen, once we shoot our shot in a godly way, we still don't compromise, right? We still can't compromise. We can't take matters into our own hands, right? The, this last point is often the hardest one, right? I, I think that, that we can think of a plan for good. I think that we can even take the risk, but here's the hardest part. When it doesn't work out exactly the way that you envisioned it, it's hard to stop and wait and rest in God. Let me just give a, a couple of scriptures and some points of application. Number one, when you've done all that you can do, resist the temptation to move ahead of God. Resist the temptation to move ahead of God. Listen, in your heart, there has to be a genuine feeling, a genuine disposition that says this, I genuinely, truly do not want to move ahead of God. I want to wait on God, right? Psalm 27 says this, it says, I am certain that I will see the Lord's goodness in the land of the living. I love that, it's faith. You know, the, the, the psalm writer is saying, I'm certain about this. I'm going to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And the next verse says this. It says, wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart. Wait for the Lord. I love that. He, he says it twice in the very same verse. He says, wait for the Lord. Wait for the Lord. Here, here's the idea. It's wait patiently for the Lord. That, that's, that's what he's saying here. Listen, the word wait can actually be defined for us like this, right? It can mean this, to stay where one is or to delay action until a particular time, right? Too often we do not allow ourselves the opportunity to delay action, right? Isn't that what Boaz does? I mean, Boaz is not saying I'm not going to act. He's just saying right now we can't do anything. Right now we have to wait on the Lord, but in the morning, we will go and see about this other redeemer. Number two, we need to realize that God is the one who makes your plans successful, right? God is the one who makes your plans successful. Proverbs 16 verse nine says, the heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps, right? Our hearts can plan our way, but God is the one who establishes our steps. And so if that's true, and I believe it is, then here's what we should do. Proverbs 16, three says this, commit your work to the Lord and your plans will be established. Right, commit your work to the Lord and your plans will be established. Now, let me just end by ref reflecting on a, on a few points here. Number one, what is the thing that you need to do for good? Right, I, I know I've been, been preaching this message to you this morning. We've been talking about making plans and acting for good and taking a risk. 
Is there something that God has put on your heart, maybe even while I've been speaking? What is that thing? Here's, here's what I just want to say. I just want to say, start there, pray, and make a good plan within the boundaries of God's law. And then number two, once you've made your plan, right, it's time to act. You've got to shoot your shot. You've got you've to go for it, right? I've heard Pastor Hyden say many times that delayed obedience is disobedience. So listen, if God has already shown you what to do, then just go back there and do what God has already said. And number three, don't try to take something out of the Lord's hands that you have already put there, right? Watch this. Here's what we do. We go like this. We, we, we say, God, I'm going to trust you with something, and we, and we hand it to God, right? Why don't you just do this with me right now? God, I'm giving this to you. You ready? Now go like this, right? Because here's what we do. A lot of times we give something to God and then we, and then we hold it. And then what we want to do is we want to take it back, right? We want, to, we want to take something out of God's hands that we've already put there. And what God is calling us to do as Christians is once we've made our plan for good and once we've, we've taken our action, once we've shot our shot, right? within the boundaries of God's law, at that point, what we need to do is we need to leave it with God and not try to move ahead of God, right? If there's something to do, then do it, right? But don't move ahead of God and don't take matters into your own hands. Well, listen, you're gonna have to join us again next week to find out what happens next in Ruth chapter three. Um, and it's going to be a great, a great sermon next week. Uh, before we do that, let me just go ahead and, and close and let me pray for us. All right. Father God, we thank you so much, Father, for your word, God. We thank you so much for this beautiful story that's recorded for us in the book of Ruth. God, this story is, is such an amazing story, God. It's a, it's a love story. And God, really, we understand, God, that this is really just a picture Father, of the protection and the provision that you offer us, God, as our Redeemer. God, much like the nation of Israel, Father, we are, we are helpless. God, we are, we are naked, Father. We can't provide for ourselves. We can't protect ourselves. But God, you sent your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, as our Redeemer to come down and to rescue us and redeem us. God, we're thankful for that. Father, first of all, I just, just want to pray for, for everyone inside of our church right now, God, who some people are working, some people are not working. Father, some people are, are home. A lot of time on our hands, God. Father, we, we pray that, that right now, God, that you would make this a time to reflect on your kindness, on your goodness. God, to think of all the things that we are thankful for, the things that you've already done for us, God. And God, we, I, I pray that right now, God, that, that that would inspire people, God, that that would move people to make plans for good. And God, that they would, they would make their plans and then they would take the risk that you're calling them to take, God, that they would shoot their shot, that they would move, that they would act. And God, I pray that your, your good hand would be upon it, God, and that you would bless, Father. We know that, that you are the one who establishes our steps. So Father, would you do that? in the life of Walk Church, God. And even as, as we plan as a, as a leadership team to, to take our next step, God, whatever you're calling us to do, Father, we pray that your blessing would be upon us, God, that you would give us your wisdom, God, and that we, you would help us to execute the way that you're calling us to execute. And then, Father, I also just want to pray this, God. I just want to, just want to pray for anyone, God, as I, as I spoke about earlier, who has not yet taken the risk to approach 
Jesus Christ, our ultimate redeemer, and ask him to redeem them. If you've never trusted in Jesus Christ, I just want to invite you right now just to, just to pray with me, to pray to the one who's willing and able to redeem you. Just pray something like this. Say, say Father, I come before you in Jesus' name. God, right now, right now I'm, just, I'm just confessing, God, that, that I have sin and I have guilt in my life. And God, I can't help myself. I can't redeem myself. I need someone else to redeem me. And God, I know that you sent your son, Jesus, to die on a cross for my sins. And God, I know that he's able and I know that he's willing. That's what he said in in your word. And so right now, God, I'm asking you to redeem me. In Jesus' name, amen.